0: To another episode of the High Ground, powered by Premier Companies. And Brian, uh, in the in the uh, podcast room with us today, we have our longtime uh, participant in the podcast and our resident agronomist, Glenn Longaball. Good to have you, Glenn.
1: Good morning, guys.
0: Glenn, there's a uh, there's a whole re- there's a lot of reasons I think that people are talking about wheat and uh going into next year and we're far enough south where we can double crop and we might have to explain some of that but what do you think about the um, growers now that maybe haven't put out wheat in a while and we have uh, several of those um and then going into this 2022-23 crop year what what do you think about the uh, the buzz that's uh, around wheat? i guess there's reasons why with the uh with the shape that. Um, the european uh, Breadbasket is sure. in with the wars. Um, uh, so tell us a little bit about what you think about uh, the wheat and the opportunities there and some of the watch outs, some of the uh, I guess there's things about wheat that we got to get right to begin with. That's true so let's start there what do you think about the the double cropping and and the wheat system
1: yeah so we have a we have a wonderful opportunity here right so I, i i used to cover a lot more of the state of indiana than what i do now and there's a there's an obvious line that goes across indiana um if you're north of that zone then double crops don't work and if you look at the economics of wheat and then having the ground fallow following a wheat crop uh, the economics are are terrible yeah but but here where we oftentimes can raise uh you know a 40 45 i mean we've had we've had uh, double crop bean yields you know in excess of 50 bushel with some regularity then um you know wheat double crop soybeans really is a is a very attractive offer and it's a great rotation right it, sure it's, it's a it's a wonderful rotation and you get some cash flow uh i, I would just tell you that you know people that haven't been raising wheat are oftentimes, um, the learning curve is pretty steep, right? Wheat is kind of a, it's kind of a gentleman's crop. It's a, um, it requires a lot of husbandry if you want to raise really good wheat. That's not to say you can't have really good wheat and do it, um, with with you know, in a lackadaisical manner, but it probably is just anecdotal. It probably is accidental, is what <laughs> I'm saying. Right? If you want to raise really good wheat all with regularity, there are just some things that you have to do. And and I often hear some of my peers. I, I mean, there are experts in the industry that talk a lot about wheat management, and and yet I listen to them. I'm like, man, you are oversimplifying this, you know. And, and in fact, growers. Listen to them and think, oh, well, raise big wheat, all you have to do is just throw a bunch of stuff at it, right? It's just about springing it a bunch of times, and that's not really true. Wheat requires a lot of husbandry on the front end. It really does.
0: It, and one of the things is making the making the plan for next year. I mean, uh, for the next summer, for June, uh, what you're going to do when it comes off. But I guess before you put the wheat in the ground, what's some of the things you got to be, what's some of the things you need to decide before you plant 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 the wheat
1: yeah that's 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 wonderful segue thank you um sal here's what i tell you if if first of all if you think you're going to raise wheat in 2022 into 2023 you probably need to find out what the availability of wheat seed is because there's so much interest that wheat seed is going to be crazy tight this next year but beyond that uh, let's say you've already obligated, hey, I am missing out on wheat. I'm going to start raising wheat. There are some, things, there are some fundamentals that you need to know. And here's the, here's, the, here, here's the primary thing. When I think about wheat agronomics, um, you know, I used to work with um, yeah, Chris, which sometimes consults you folks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, Ronan Collins, um, you know, the, these guys, I worked with him, you know, 30 years ago. And when they first came in, the, you know, Philip Needham was actually stationed at my plant, uh, you know, whenever I was in ag retail. And, and these guys were excellent agronomists that really uh, set the stage for us to, to, to increase wheat yields with, substantially. Anyway, now that I've struggled through that, let me tell you what I think it takes to raise really good wheat. You need to start by knowing what good looking wheat looks like. You need to know what the target is before you just start shooting, right? You can't just shoot and say, oh, look, I, I did hit the target over <laughs> here after the fact. And, and here's what we learned from these fellows years ago, that there is an optimum number of heads per acre. And you can divide that down because that, that's a lot of, that's like millions of heads. That's like 3 million heads per acre, right? Hmm. So let's break it down into square feet or square yards. And, and I typically think in square yards on wheat. We know that the optimum number of heads per square yard is somewhere between six and 900, right? Typically, if you can get the if you can get six to 900 heads per square yard, then you probably had the optimum number of heads, you were in that ideal window to get top yields. Now, knowing that, you need to know that uh, wheat. Isn't a one to one relationship, right? It's not like we sow thirty six thousand plants on corn and we end up with thirty three to thirty four on wheat. Wheat has this ability to tiller and make clones, make suckers of itself, and so um, there there is a kind of a you need to know, you need to understand. So when you when you order your seed, you need to know whether this is a variety that tillers a lot or it's one that maybe hmm. resists tillering, and 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 so ideally, um, some of the best wheat is where you have that optimum number of heads and you have an optimum number of tillers, right? So if the optimum number of tillers is two to three per plant and the optimum number of heads is six to 900, then we can do the math to say, hey, we probably should start out with somewhere around 300 seeds per square yard. And and if we want to account for some mortality, we could make it maybe three and a quarter, right? Um, but then... Uh, it's about managing the wheat to get that optimum number of tillers right and typically you manage wheat tillering with two things planting date and nitrogen right so the earlier you plant typically the more robust the plant is about tillering right and so if we plant 300 seeds and we get two tillers per plant uh, that's including the main column you're going to end up at 600 you know, 600 heads per square yard. If you plant, you know, three and a quarter and you end up with two and a half tillers, you're going to probably be at 750 to 800 heads per square yard. There, there's a real important reason. Maybe I overlooked this and, and maybe we should start there. The reason why you don't, just, um, uh, you, you don't just go willy-nilly at seeding is because 60% of your yield typically comes off of the main column, not off of the tillers. And the reason why you don't just sow, you know, six to 900 seeds is because typically wheat will tiller some. And so uh, the, 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 the real sweet spot is to plant the right number of seeds and then use either planting date or in-season intelligence to use nitrogen to manipulate that wheat to keep or put on uh, the right number of tillers.
0: But the nitrogen does that need to be put down foundationally before it needs to go pretty early, right? Yeah. So
1: so here's the deal. You you probably have enough most times in just your DAP, right? If you made a DAP application at um, th- that's probably enough to get you started. And if we're planning really early, let's say we, I mean we have a certain number of growers that always want to go ahead of the fly free date. They're going to get more killering. And so they probably need to keep enough nitrogen on that crop to keep it healthy and green. But they don't want to put so much nitrogen on that it actually induces it to tiller more. They probably want to withhold nitrogen as long as they can. If we're talking about in that October 15th time frame, yeah, you could probably have a little nitrogen on up front. The plant's probably not going to get too robust in the fall. And then you just want to delay nitrogen in the in, in the spring you know still probably two passes but it's about delaying it until you are sure you have the right number of tillers it's really about reconnaissance right if you have one tiller per plant um, then you probably need to put more nitrogen on early if you have three tillers per plant you need to withhold nitrogen as long as you can to keep it from making too many tillers
0: yeah because the other thing is like okay i want lots of wheat i want 900 i'm gonna go ahead and plant you know 700 Just in case I don't have, but if you get too many tillers, what happens?
1: Well, remember, most of your yield comes off of the main column, but if you overpopulate it, they all will be reduced in in yield, right? Mm -hmm. And so again, there's this optimum number of of heads, optimum number of tillers per plant, and there's optimum seeding rate. And this is the part that gets overlooked, right? Everybody knows that, hey, we got to kill the weeds, and everybody knows we have to kill the pathogens, and everybody knows we have to feed this crop, and we need to do it multiple times, and that more, uh, typically we get more yield by making applications later in the year, because then it doesn't stimulate more comb length and more plant. It's then really influencing yield, Right. But but they overlook the, the precursors, right? It's like trying to raise 100 bushel soybeans with 180,000 plants. You plant 180,000 soybean plants. I can't help you raise 100 bushel yeah. beans because we don't have the prerequisites, right? And, and that's why I wanted to cover that today is now is a great time to think about these prerequisites, right? It's cool. about let's order seed and let's get intelligence <clears throat> on whether it is a a, a, a variety that tillers a lot, or whether it's a variety that doesn't tiller a lot, and then let's decide what our seeding rate is going to be. Oh, by the way, you probably ought to go calibrate the the drill, right? <laughs> because because if you think you can just go out there and set a drill and it's going to put on what the book says, you're crazy. It doesn't work that way, and so that piece of equipment probably needs to be calibrated. And if you get wheat off to a really good start, it's going to make your life so much easier the rest of the year.
2: Hmm. So two things. But I don't want to let you skip over the fly-free date. Uh, you might, uh, I think we need to just anticipate that some people have no idea what we're talking about yeah. on that. So fly-free date has nothing to do with Southwest Airlines. But no, 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 no. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and also, before we get ahead, you said you might want to calibrate the drill. I can remember at times past, people who wanted to jump in and out of the wheat business didn't necessarily have a drill because they, they use their planters for their beans. So they don't necessarily have a drill laying around – quickly hit on the fly free date and also if you're left with a 15 inch planter is there anything you can do with weed in 15 inch rows
1: yeah so so let's start with the fly free date and um, uh, you know i feel a little self-conscious here I'm, I'm like betsy betsy made the comment the other day um she's up at series that she's never seen a hessian fly right and and i would say that that uh, I can't remember the last time I saw it. How flight. do
0: we how do we have that beat into our heads? Well, right. well October fifth.
2: It's all it's oh like marked gosh. on the calendar. Yeah, well, Fly free date. I don't well, know if that's the right date. It, yeah, yeah well, I think it floats. But.
1: Well it, well it depends on what your latitude is, right? So the farther south you go, then the fly free date is later, right? For for my neighborhood, it's October eighth. It's it's actually my birthday. If it's if you go farther north, then the fly free date gets gets earlyed up. But it, it, it's really around an insect pest that lays an egg on the on the plant, and it hatches, and typically the the, the larvae will uh, you know cause problems later in the year, and typically it's it kind of saws it off. I don't know that we have a tremendous amount of problems with hash and fly, but it turns out that if you get out there much before the fly free date, what you end up doing is causing a, a a boatload of tillering, and oftentimes you end up with this great big robust plant. That ends up getting frost damage yeah, in the spring anyway. Hammered in the spring. So, yep. so I don't know the fly-free date is so much about hessian fly in my mind as it is about
2: brake pump.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's about <laughs> pumping the brakes and keeping you from having too <laughs> robust a plant. So I'm so glad that you guys brought that up, and I can show my own uh, insecurity around, <laughs> around an, an insect pest, right? But, but here's what I tell you about 15-inch rows, right? 15-inch rows, interestingly enough, uh, they yield. Uh, by the way they don't yield with sevens or tens but but they do yield surprisingly uh surprisingly well but there's some things that you need to know right you would think that in 15 inch rows we probably need to pull the seeding rate back and we need to pick something that really tillers well right that would be my first intuition and and i remember back when i was with syngenta right i was with syngenta a lot of years and, and used to, uh, you know, used to talk a lot about um, uh, wheat management. And we had wheat varieties then that were uh, really good at tillering. We had some varieties that didn't tiller a lot. And your first instinct, right, when you go to wide rows, just like if you're raising wide rows over in, in uh uh, Premier's western territory right there's a lot of guys that still have 36 and 38 inch rows when you get into the Amish communities and yet they still raise great great crops right they're not raising 300 bushel of corn but they still can raise awfully good crops well wheat is very similar to that you would think that in 15 inch rows you'd want a, a variety that tillers a lot yep. and that you'd probably pull the seeding rate back that's not really the way it works out. I had I mean, a actually,
0: feeling you're going to tell us that.
1: Yeah, it, it, the data would suggest that it's a lot like 38-inch row corn. It's actually fixed-eared hybrids and in 30-inch 38-inch corn, and then it's it's products typically that can handle crowding are the ones that typically do well in those crazy wide rows. It's the same in wheat. Turns out that those varieties that don't tiller well are the ones that typically handle 15-inch rows better. Mm. And then they can also handle that increased seeding rate. You're not increasing the seeding rate, but it, but the, to the plant, it, 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 the, the, the net is that it feels that it's being crowded because even at the same seeding rate, they're much closer together. So you're still pulling the seeding rate back a little bit, but, but the plants have the, um, uh, the, the environment they're in is one of, of, of high, high seed environment, right? So I, 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 I don't really want to talk about brands because I'm not that current on, on the on the latest varieties, and probably should get brushed up before this fall. But I do know that uh, you know some of the uh, you know some of the um, uh, legacy varieties that didn't tiller well did really well in 15 inch rows and it was totally counterintuitive to what Hmm. i expected back whenever i used to manage a lot of wheat
0: well one thing we haven't seen is hessian flies that must have been like an event back in the 1960s and then that got ingrained in agriculture but one thing we have seen is aphids and that's a vector for barley yellow dwarf yep what about treated seed treated wheat seed yeah
1: so so um That, that's a great segue, and and I, I'm glad you went there. It's it, there is an easy remedy for bird cherry aphids, and that is using thiamethoxam on the tree, on on the seed treatment, right? Whether it's, uh, well, it really doesn't matter since it's a monocot. Whether it's thiamethoxam or whether it's imidacloprid, right? Um, either one of those will give you acceptable control early on on bird cherry aphids. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't probably scout after the first of the year or sometime uh, later in the winter, but we know that where you use uh, these neonic seed treatments that are systemic in nature, you have a much lower incidence of barley yellow dwarf mosaic virus, and it's because you, you controlled the bird cherry aphids early on. Good. Sorry, I, I, I kind of got caught up there because the deal is we, we, we handle several brands, right? Um, the, the Warden cereals that some have thymethoxam, some have imidacloprid, yep. uh, you know, but I would, if it was me, I would use, um, you know, a, uh, a broad spectrum fungal uh, product right? Something like a warden cereals yep. too. And then probably you will add something like resonate to that, uh, which is imidacloprid uh, at this latitude. The other thing I would I would consider, especially if it gets into later planting, I would consider putting a scent on wheat, right? If it's early, I probably wouldn't put a scent on wheat because I don't really want to encourage any more tillering and any more vegetative growth. But especially when we get into later planted, uh, one of the things that, that Premier can do is they can is they can use the uh, water soluble granular, which is a water based um, uh, version or or uh, formulation of a sin, mm-hmm. and actually use that as a seed treatment. And it, man, it makes a profound impact on early season vigor on wheat. Good.
0: So we got our population right. We got our tillers right. It's Christmas. There's maybe snow. So now what?
1: Yeah. So, you know, from here on out, it might be another high ground episode, right? Yeah. Talking about managing through the year, but just so that you, just to take the 10,000 foot level, right? We, we want to scout sometime late fall, make sure we got all the bird cherry aphids, make sure we don't have a lot of, of, um, uh, weeds, right? There's a lot of winter annuals that actually limit wheat yields and controlling them in the fall has a huge impact on yield versus controlling them in the spring, right? You can get the same level of control on a fall application and a spring application make 10 bushels difference in the wheat.
0: Wow. Well, let's talk about the fall application and then I think we probably will make another high ground episode out of yeah. uh, out of uh, in season management of wheat. So so, what do we need to do for weed control?
1: Yeah. So if we're thinking about fall applications, uh, there's a lot of the same products. But if we're going to use growth regulators, we have to be really, really careful. You cannot go in and make pre-emerge applications of Dicamba or 2,4-D, either one. Once it emerges, then there are windows in there where you can make Dicamba applications. When it gets a little bigger, then you can make 2,4-D applications. If you look at the labeling, it is crazy uh, uh, confusing right? And so make sure you, before you make an application, go visit with your premier account rep and and maybe it's time to think about maybe spending a little bit more and using maybe an SU, right? Using something like a Harmony. Yep. Uh, Any of those products uh, will give you uh, equal to maybe even better than control and there's much less likelihood that you're going to dink the crop, right? And so um, you know, just to c- kind of bait the audience for the, for the, for the next high ground on wheat, which we probably should do maybe next winter. It's really, what's how you manage from there on is really around nitrogen management, right? It's about getting enough on to make sure you have the right tillers, keep the plant healthy, but not so much to, uh, encourage too much tillering. And then we get in the spring. It's about, uh, it's about monitoring, uh, plant nutrition, right? We're going to make sure we have enough, um, Typically, we get short on sulfur if we didn't make a sulfur amendment in the fall. Typically, we'll get short on manganese. We'll get short on copper. Uh, there, are, or there are several um, nutrients that can be limiting to wheat. But, but if you start out right, wheat is very easy to manage on the tail end, right? It's a couple of fungicide applications and some, uh, you know, uh, maybe an, another insecticide application. But it's really... Um, it, um, and, and one growth regulator, right? We typically, we like to use Palisade so that we can, we can increase the nitrogen rate higher and not have lodging, right? Yeah. And, and, and by the way, that, when we like to put on the majority of our nitrogen is after it started joining. Once it gets past that Feeks 5, Feeks 6, which is where it's a little small rosette and it starts to joint, then we can put on nitrogen without it actually impacting the number of tillers, right? All right, and um, and so um, if we get the right number of plants, and then we feed it well. We get into late spring. We can then jack it up with nitrogen. We use Palisade to keep it shorter, right? It doesn't it doesn't decrease the number of cells, but what it does do is it makes the it's a it's a um, gibberlic acid blocker, right? It, it actually. Um, inhibits the production of tribolic acid so the cells are still the same number of cells but the cells are not as elongated and the cell walls are thicker and they don't tend to break as easy right and so these are all strategies um along with fungicides to make sure that we not only have really healthy wheat that uh yields well but also is sellable right if we don't control head scab, then it's, you probably have a, a, a bunch of wheat that you can't sell. Bad quality. Yeah, you have bad quality. So, so oh, I
2: have one more question for this side of the of the winter. Yeah. Bearded iron bearded wheat.
1: Yeah, I have. I have. <laughs>
2: there was a lot more discussion on that what I was selling than I ever thought there probably should be.
1: Yeah, I, I'll tell you personally, um, I, I want the highest yielding wheat, regardless of whether it has an on on it, but. Um, I would also tell you this that uh, it, personally, it, the ons just absolutely tear me up. There's something about it. Hmm. I I couldn't get into Poison Ivy and be any.
2: It always caved out to the how how a guy was going to handle that. If he was combining it, he maybe didn't care. If he was chopping it, he did care. It, it, absolutely it was a, a crazy. I, I mean, it was crazy. It was the that, handling of it.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you ever see it, you can always tell whether they've had an on variety or not. You go out and look at their draper header and you see (laughs) the you see the fuzz coming out of every every small crack or every small break in the sheet metal is full of these, you know, of these beards that are on there. But but yeah, they especially like on barley. I, I use barley as a cover crop. I get some from Larry about every year and i'm telling you it absolutely tears me up i i couldn't i scratch like a dog with fleas and, <laughs> and and break out in a rash and everything else and and um, and and so I, there's something about I, I think if you could look at it microscopically it probably has little hooks on it or there's something about the yeah. structure of those awns but
2: i just thought i'd ask because it's always it's really mainly it just comes the people's up. reaction yeah. to it versus what it has to do with yield
1: yeah. well so. it's it's just like pubescence and soybeans yeah. right it, it's 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 probably it's okay. anecdotal. It's uh, you know there's some people that love uh, you know red beans and they'll talk about you know uh, you know beans that have a, a red or ugliest
2: a, a, ugliest field of gray beans I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. They could yield a hundred bushels of the acre but that, I hate them because they're gray.
1: Well, so. you know when Stein you know Stein used to have a lot of gray beans and they had a lot of yield potential, um, you know it's kind of a, a parent material company. and uh, but they historically, the first ones had some terrible mm. problems with lodging. And that, you know, uh, that becomes a stigma in yep. your mind. But I got to sure admit, does. there's nothing sexier than than a, a, a bean that has a red pubescence and stands up and, and feeds into the combine well. I mean, there's there no question that that's, you know, that that's really attractive. But I've probably raised better, you know you know, light, light tawnies and, and gray beans than, than I ever did red beans.
0: Only Uh, an agronomist that also farms would say that there's nothing sexier than a red, red, red bean
2: bean at harvest. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well,
2: thank you very much. This was a, there's a lot to wheat. I mean, we've we've had the jokes before about the cover crop stands that come up, and you think in the spring, I should I don't know whether I should burn that down or whether I should top dress it and move on with it. But there's a there's a lot more to it. You're, you're right. That's that might you might get lucky, but yeah. But well, we it's we, a strategy.
1: Well, you think about it. We uh, we often talk about managing corn uh, across the entire season with multiple meetings, right? But if it's wheat, then we give it we give it a a paragraph you know oh. it's, a, it's a footnote to other crops sure. and, and yet it's a sure uh, you know it's a wonderful crop and and uh, it, it's a lot more everybody thinks that that raising good wheat is just about what you put on it and really there's a lot more to the husbandry of wheat there's more influence to yield on the husbandry than there is just throwing inputs at it mm. that's the that's the takeaway
2: okay.
0: back to the plan All right. Well, that's another episode of the high ground, Brian Glenn. Thanks for joining us in here today and, uh, all of our listeners. Thank you very much.